when you're a vet, the, people, they, like, you, you say you're a writer and then you find out you're a veteran and then they want to hear war stories and like, oh no, but I have a great pilot about like the UFO that lands in Chicago and these stoners find it. Like, yeah, 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 that's cool. So tell me about like Fallujah. Like, tell me about like that shit. So like, it's sort of like, you're kind of like already put in a little box that you have to get out of, which is, I guess, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because you're bringing something to the table that other writers and other people may not have. So you kind of use that to separate yourself, but you also could get pigeonholed into that genre if you don't want to just be the war guy. That's Eric Legia, director, writer, Marine Red Lake, which means artillery person. Best branch of the military? And no, I won't argue with you about it. Welcome to First Time Go. I'm Benjamin Duchek. And when you know it, another Red Lake. In this episode, we talk about how much artillery folks love Lawton, Oklahoma. Eric's journey transitioning from the military to Hollywood, including helping the Hallmark Channel with military protocol. The value of the Veterans Writing Project, accepting applications until February 12, 2024. And I think it's free, contrary to what we say in the episode. Is Generation Kill the best Iraq-Afghanistan military film series? It's up there on the list. And we talk about the exciting future for Eric. Fire for a fact. Let's go. Day, Eric Legia, director, writer, fellow artilleryman. How are you? Doing great, Ben. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. So I think it's the first time that I have a fellow Red Lake on the podcast. And for those who don't know, Marines like yourself and Army both train at Fort Sill, Oklahoma in Lawton. And can for anyone who has never been to Lawton, can you tell people a little bit about what Lawton is like? No, it's a, it's a wildly unpleasant experience. <laughs> it's, I you know nothing against the people of Lawton, but it's a very, I feel like it's exactly. one of those towns. Yeah, yeah it, I think it only exists because there's an army base there. So it's like, there's like a mall. When I was there, it was a horrible bar that didn't care about IDs that I'm pretty sure I have diseases that will never go away from being in that place. And that was basically it. That's the only scooters. Thing that Are you do. talking about scooters? When I was there, it was called Sidewinders. I don't want to get okay, too, yep, too much yep, detail yep. for it because to protect the innocent, but. <laughs> but it, it is great for what you're doing, which is, you know, shooting uh, cannons. Certainly a lot of space for that. And I always yeah. feel a little guilty because I love the people in Lawton. That part of it wasn't, wasn't the issue, but it's certainly an interesting place to have a military career. But you have left Lawton. You're in Los Angeles. So can you talk a little bit about how you went from you know, shooting cannons to filmmaking. I guess the the, the journey was a little convoluted. I, I kind of got into like filmmaking, like when I was young before the military and then 9-11 happened. And a lot of people in my generation, maybe you experienced this yourself, like, you know, wanted to enlist because of that. And then, so I kind of put my TV dreams on the back burner while I was doing the military thing. And then I was, I, my four years were getting close to being over. I knew sort of that I wasn't going to stay in. I feel like I just did my time. I, I tried to help. I didn't get Bin Laden, but you know, I gave it my best and then I had to do something, but I, and then now I had this GI bill. So college, any college that would take me was suddenly an option. And I, you know, I kind of saw how short life could be. And I was like, well, I should follow my dream. So why don't I do this TV and film thing? So then I, I went right from the Marines to Columbia college, Chicago, which is this film school in Chicago, which is near where I grew up. So I kind of knew like of it in the area. And I figured, you know, that's kind of like back home. I can 
do this. And then after film school, I figured I would either move to LA or New York. And I chose LA because I was sick of the cold and now I'm here. So. <laughs> oh, I feel that in my bones when it's, uh, I'm in Washington DC now and it's like Oof. snowing and I think, what have I done with my life? I hate the cold. I think it's one of the military things that I think my wife doesn't really understand is that like, once you've had the cold in you, you know, being out in the field for like weeks, it never, never leaves you never like yeah. feel like it, it always is just like, I hate the cold with such a passion. Yeah. yeah. It's in there. It's in your bones. Exactly. So you've done quite a, a bit of work written, produced, directed. Can you talk a little bit about some of the projects you've been a part of? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I guess, well, I guess like ever since like, you know, probably towards the tail end of film school and it, since coming out to LA, I guess I've done the whole, you know, people say like, you just gotta make stuff, man. And I guess uh, I've been good at like doing that. Like even, even some of it's horrible, <laughs> you know, just stuff that, that just goes on YouTube. That's just horrible, but it's entertaining to me and my friends and it's, you know, a learning experience and stuff. So I guess I was just trying to keep my hands dirty and then I, 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 you know, while I was doing that, I, I kind of came up in a weird way where I started working as, you know, a lot of people that want to direct or write, they'll get, you know, sort of like, like they'll take up the, the assistant route that way or the, some other above the line world route where I just because it was the first jobs I could get, I started working crew. So I would work PA jobs, eventually worked up to be an assistant director. So I'd be making other people's movies and then on the side, I'd be making my own. And then finally, within the last couple of years, I kind of got my break and I got to actually like, like for a living, like write and produce things. And so the, probably like the, the, the latest ones, probably in the last like couple of years, like I said, like probably my first big break was, was getting an associate producer job for the Hallmark channel, because that was sort of like marrying my below the line and above the line or my below the line experience and my like above the line aspirations. So I would help manage these segments that we were shooting and also get to help write and produce them. Obviously, it was like the Hallmark Channel, so the audience was very, very different. It was a lot of wholesome stuff. But I did that to deflect the military nuts there uh, a little bit because, you know, we have a – Hallmark has a big military audience. So whenever they needed a question about, oh, what was – like if they're doing like a thing about care packages, they would ask me. Or or I actually I actually was the liaison one time. We had a, a veteran uh, – we had a woman who was married to a vet – or to, to an active duty Air Force service member air force man or whatever they're called airman she, we gave her like a makeover and we piped in his him for, he was he was in africa at the time so we piped him in over zoom and i was like i got a hold of the air force and got all that done so that was really cool and then going from hallmark working from them um, when that show got canceled i started working for veteran tv which is a very different audience, not wholesome at all. And but that was really fun. And then I, I really got to kind of use my military knowledge and experience and my filmmaking experience to really like write some cool, fun stuff that hopefully the audience enjoyed. I think mostly they did. And so that's, those are kind of like the latest, like big things that have been produced. And then, you know, I'm always just writing stuff and trying to get things made or sold or get jobs off of it. So, you know, so it's kind of the latest jam I've been on. That's so awesome, Eric. So can you talk about how you got involved in with the Writers Guild Foundation Veteran Writers Project? Yeah, I definitely could talk about that. And that program, I cannot speak highly enough of that program. It is a fantastic program. And I, so I know the program's been around for a while. I don't know when it started. I got wind of it. I mean, this was 20, I was in the 2016 class. So this must've been, I probably applied like the fall of 2015. Right. 
I had been in LA for like three years and, you know, I'm, a, I'm at that point, I think I was still PAing, maybe getting some AD work here and there. So I was like, you know, applying for every fellowship and every festival and just doing every kind of hustle I could. And I, I, I think that came across my radar, like on the internet, like maybe Facebook or something. And I was like, Oh, there's a program for veterans. I'm a veteran. Let me just enter it because whatever. And I was blown away with how like thorough and valuable that program is. And it's super valuable, not just because of like the, I mean, you're going to learn about writing screenplays and you know, like, I feel like when you do like these classes, sometimes people pay for screenwriting classes and stuff and you get like, Oh, this is what a log line is. These are what how to format slug lines and stuff. And you'll get that in that program, but you also get like working industry professionals teaching you about like the bit, like what a general meeting is and a showrunner meeting is and how TV rooms get staffed and how feature films get purchased. Like, like just like the, the active, like, you know, Intel from the trenches that you're not going to get, you know, when you, if you're paying some like retired screenwriter, 500 bucks to teach you what a log line is, you know what I mean? Like you get like the hands-on shit and the bulk of the mentors in there, at least I think it was at least half when I was in, and I know they keep a big number of them were veterans themselves. So they know the grind, they know the struggle of like, you know, being an outdoor cat and trying to break into screenwriting and stuff like they understand, like, all the ins and outs. So it was a really great program. And the people the I learned a lot about screenwriting that took my writing to another level. And I met people that introduced me to other people that made my network expand a lot. I, I have representation now directly because of the people that I met in that program. So I, it's a fantastic program. I guess your original question was how I found it. I found it on like the internet, but it's a great program and I can't recommend it enough to every veteran out there who wants to be a writer. That's a great answer because I do see those classes, you know, it's hard to avoid them on YouTube or Facebook, you know, pay like 500, $600 and I'll show you the ropes. And it's like, is that really helpful? But if you are a new guy coming out, you know, leaving the military, maybe you think like, okay, I need to do that to get ahead. And you're really not building a network. You're not really getting the up-to-date information, but it sounds like the project veterans writers project allows you to have all of that. Yeah, no, it really does. It really does. And it's, and when I did it, it was free. I think there might be an application fee now, but I could tell you, you know, if you, I know when you see application fees, like it, it's probably like a bristle, like, oh, is this a scam? I can tell you whatever the fee is, unless it's like insane. It's, it's probably gotta be like, I don't know, less than 50 bucks. Pay it, pay it. If you're right. thinking about it, it's good. It's worth it. Right. I think it was like $40, something like that. On the oh, website. it's a steal. I, I, yeah, definitely steal. You'll get your, you'll get your investment back. You know, if you, if you do the stuff and do the work, you'll get your investment back tenfold so are the is there a strong alumni present so like are you part of like a 2016 class is that the way it works yeah and then there's there's like the there's like the closed facebook groups which i feel like facebook itself was more active maybe a few years ago so those were fairly active and you're kind of on there like when you graduate your alumni you get to be on this like you know group so you're with everybody you can kind of stay in touch obviously you're going to make friends and share contact info and it's also i don't know it's sort of like you know you know, when you're out and you see another vet or, or, you know, you see a guy in a hat and you're like, were you in the vet? And then you're like, oh, we're both vets. Blah, blah, blah. It's sort of like that, but like on another level, because you'll, you'll run into each other in the business and you'll be like, bro, WGF program. Remember we did the thing? Like, oh my God. Yeah. What you've been up to? Da, da, da. And so, you know, and people stay in touch. Like this last year with the strikes, I saw a bunch of alumni that I was in the classes with on the picket lines and we like reconnected and caught up. And, you know, sometimes I'll take a, a 
before the strikes, there was like a class about comedy writing that I went to. I saw another guy that I was in the thing with and, you know, we're just chatting it up and staying in touch and you'll see what they're doing and the jobs they're getting, if they can help you out or not, or if you have anything to offer other people. So it's definitely, you definitely are part of a community for sure. That's awesome. So you're quoted on IMDb as saying, we're just making a movie. We're not retaking Fallujah. And I feel like a lot of veterans can really relate to that statement of having this sort of calm under fire that, you know, the filmmaking process is nothing like clearing buildings or shooting cannons, anything like that. Can you talk a little bit about what you've, what you found like veterans are able to bring to filmmaking that maybe if you're not familiar with veteran, somebody who's not familiar with veterans would want to know? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think there's, there's like, I mean, you know, filmmaking, filmmaking is still chaotic and there's a lot of moving parts and there, it, you know, it can feel like the stakes are high because there might be a lot of money involved or even when there's not money involved, it's almost like the stakes are higher because you know, you're not paying the actor to have him all day. So he's got to go to his day job. So you got to shoot him out by five. See, it's, there's always high stakes, always high lots of moving parts and speed and blah, 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 blah. Veterans have experience with that, but with even higher stakes with like life or death situations, or even if veterans have never deployed, they were obviously training to deploy or support someone who is deployed. So, so what you're going to get is like people that have been in, I guess for lack of a better way of saying it, like people who have been in worse situations (laughs) that can sort of like, like, you know, if you can keep a level head, either, Patrol on a patrol that would encounter an IED or training for that situation, you could totally keep a level head when you know your your principal talent is a little bit late and hair and makeup is taking a little bit too long and the grip truck can't get through the parking lot or whatever. You know, and this like ability to adapt and overcome. Uh, veterans like completely bring that to the table. So I think I, mean, I, I, I would love to see veterans all over the industry. And I'm, I'm happy every time I do run into them. And there are a lot of us out here. There's a lot more than I realized when I first got out here. And they do thrive. Like there's a lot of assistant directors, uh, you know, like the stage manager types, a lot of veterans gravitate towards that. That's what I did for a while before the writing thing really kicked off. There's a lot of a lot of vets that do that. There's a lot of vets that obviously write. They take their experiences and do that. And they can also, you know, writer's rooms can get chaotic too. And so veterans can keep a level head. Um, doing that and there's also you know and, and you know you you're a filmmaker you you know how like this sort of like a rank structure to film you know there's like you got your pas which are maybe like private so you got your director who's like you know maybe like a maybe the general or just a gunnery sergeant depending on how and so you've got you know that there's sort of that rank structure there's sort of like you know the chain of command you need to respect there's sort of like a certain etiquette that that veterans have that built into us already and so, yeah, I feel like there's like for like culturally and professionally, veterans are sort of like predisposed to being awesome at filmmaking. And so I hope everyone hires us for all this stuff. Completely agree. Have you seen any negative elements to it? So what I'm thinking is, so I helped put together veterans project in New York when I was in graduate school. And I remember hearing like a relay to me that higher education official asked like, Something we were having some sort of veterans meeting and I wasn't there, but talking about somebody just saying like, well, talking about the program and saying something like, well, you know, what if that person shoots up the room or some horrible stereotype about veterans? Have you encountered any of that at all in Los Uh, Angeles where somebody maybe, maybe not to that extreme, but like stereotypes veterans? Yeah, there's a little bit of like the negative stereotypes that I've seen. And it is 
like it's a small amount of like ignorant people like that 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 who haven't they haven't been out of their gated community enough to actually like run into different people so they think that, that like just they think the horrible things of whatever they've you know encountered and like stereotypes or whatever but it's few and far between i remember i think like working on the hallmark show for the most part it was it was all good and acceptance and rainbows and unicorns but there was like a couple of like of like uh producers who were sort of like had never left their little gated community that were very surprised to find out that i was a vet so that was a little weird and then there is i guess this is sort of like a negative thing is that sometimes i'm kind of dealing with this is like when you're a vet people they, like, you, you say you're a writer and then you find out you're a veteran and then they want to hear war stories and like oh no but i have a great pilot about like the ufo that lands in chicago and these stoners find it like yeah yeah yeah, that's cool so tell me about like fallujah like tell me about like that shit so like it's sort of like you're kind of like already put in a little box that you have to get out of which is i guess it's a double-edged sword right because you're bringing something to the table that other writers and other people may not have so you kind of use that to separate yourself but you also could get pigeonholed into that genre if you don't want to just be the war guy you know so I feel like that that's probably more of a bigger problem to navigate. I think that ignorant stereotypes are fewer and farther between, at least in my experience so far. Hopefully it stays that way. That's very interesting. And it segues into my next question, which I'm excited to get your thoughts on. So GWAT movies, Global War on Terror, there's a lot of them that come out and it's always just some special operator almost pulling a Rambo of going into like Iraq or Afghanistan by themselves or they're part of Delta Force and killing a bunch of people. And it's like, well, and that gets a little bit to what you're saying is that you can see how completely that got funded is that somebody was like, yeah, tell me your war stories. And then somebody mm-hmm. were like went off. Is there a movie that you love that maybe people haven't seen that you think like, like showcases the absurdity of what it was like. I think Generation Kill, and I know that kind of like, and like like you said, like I I, I do find it like odd at how focused they are on like the special operators and stuff for this for stuff for this conflict. I kind of wish there was more content that showcased, you know, like artillery guys or the nor- like normal people, not the speaking squirrel people. Right. But uh, I think generation kill I mean, even though those were recon guys so technically they're special ops or whatever but th- i think that show did a really good job of like th- th- you know th- it showed the war and they showed the murky geopolitical like the kind of changing rules of engagement that was kind of confusing and frustrating and how frass the people are in this situation and the, the type of gallows humors that get them through the tough situations uh, i feel like that did a really good job sort of like the culture and the the stuff of the war at least at least of iraq i think yeah i usually say generation kill is probably like the most closest to accurate g watt show i guess you said movie but that's what i think of i think that's true uh hbo i think like 15 years ago something like that yeah yeah yeah. so it's definitely like whether it's still available on yeah if it's still available everyone listening should check it out and it is early iraq and i know i mean the g watt lasted so long that was, you know, different eras. So it's definitely like it focuses on, like, I think it's the, literally the invasion of Iraq. <laughs> so maybe it's people's a different experience from the people that, you know, were in Afghanistan in 2017 or, or, or around then. But, but yeah, definitely like a definitely very, very accurate view of the early GWAT for sure. So Eric, what's next for you? If somebody's listening to this and be like, I want to hire Eric right now to make a film or write a film or act in a film, 
can you talk a little bit about what you're working on now? And if somebody wants to get a hold of you, what the best way to do that is? Uh, if anyone wants to get a hold of me, they can email me at lejaco4 at gmail.com. <laughs> and right now, right now, I've got a couple really strong samples that my reps are putting out. We're kind of in the throes of staffing season. So that's that's sort of like the main dragon I'm chasing is trying to get staffed on a TV show. So our samples are going around to everyone who will read them. On, in addition to that, I have a project, this writing team, a fantastic writers uh, i'm working with them named greg macklin and Aoife baker their writing team and they uh we took actually it's it's relevant to military stuff it's called uh the skippy's 213 list of things he's not allowed to do in the army anymore i don't know if anyone remembers it it was like in the early 2000s it was like a viral meme on like myspace and the angel fire era of the internet so that writer team wanted to adapt that ip into a show so we and they reached out to me they're like you're a vet like let's do this let's make it cool so we did we adapted it into a tv show we wrote the pilot we found the original creator who had optioned it once before nothing happened so we optioned it we owned the ip until like the middle of next year or something i got i have it written down somewhere but hopefully we sell it before then so we're pitching that around town to everyone who will who will listen to it so if you so i don't know if you see that on tv you know that we sold it and then I've got another show that we're trying to pitch. An actor friend of mine came up with this idea. It's sort of like like drunk history meets history of swear words. And it's about, uh, it's called You're an Idiot, The Weird and Shocking Origins of Idiomatic Expressions. And it's a very highbrow humor with very lowbrow kind of content about the etymology of idioms in the English language. So, you know, we we talk about how raining cats and dogs became a thing and we cover it in vulgar jokes about cats and dogs. And so we're, we shot a sizzle for that and made a pitch deck. We're trying to sell that as well. So that's kind of my yes. jams. So yeah, <laughs> so that's what we got going on. I love both those so much. That sounds so cool, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So it's a filmmaker's podcast. I love hyping other people's projects. Is there an indie film or filmmaker that you wish more people knew about that's sort of undiscovered? Yeah. So I was thinking about this question, like thinking about like kind of like, my favorite indie folk. And I was thinking about, cause I know like you had mentioned, I think I saw it in like an earlier episode of yours that you, you do docs. So I was looking at, I actually, I was, well, I should like for full disclosure, I was in this doc, but there's a documentary called Love Aganza, the grand illusion. And it's about the true story of these, these French Canadian scam artists who started this cult to take money from people and then go to Hollywood. And they may have these people think they were donating to a film that was like for like a, charity but they were just making a film just to enjoy like pretending to be hollywood people so they would take their money come to la shoot just little snippets so they could send it back to canada and say look at we're making a movie and then they would take the rest of the money and like live in these gorgeous houses and stuff and i was one of the people that worked on these movies so i got to so i was interviewed in this this doc and i've seen it and it's brilliant it's called love aganza the grand illusion the, the filmmaker is a guy named sebastian reist um, i think it did well in some 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 festivals and Canada and France. So if you get a chance to check it out, it's a harrowing story. And I think it's good, especially for filmmakers, because it's it's sort of, you know, like the story about the people that go to Hollywood and follow their dreams. It's usually a feel-good story or uplifting. And this is like evil people who did that. They stole money to do that. So it's a it's a crazy story. Check it out. Love Aganza, The Grand Illusion. Sebastian Reist is the filmmaker behind that. And I hope he does some great stuff because he put it together very brilliantly, in my opinion. So that's awesome, Eric. Is it streaming somewhere? 
Is that your so idea? it was I think it was it wasn't streaming yet because it was doing the festival route, but I, and it won a few awards and I think it's streaming in French Canada. So if anybody has access to that, nice. so the, I, I know that that's where it is now. But so I don't know. You know, it's it might be one of those movies. Maybe you could like find it on. I don't, I don't know where it lives at the moment, but hopefully you can find it. And if you can find it, check it out. And if it's not being distroed yet, I don't know, keep it on your radar and keep a, keep a lookout for it. I, I recommend. Awesome. I appreciate that. So the Veterans Writers Project is accepting applications until February 12th, 2024. Eric highly recommends it. It sounds like such a great project. I'm really excited about it. It already has helped veterans get more involved in the industry. It promotes better military stories, all around great project. And Eric, it sounds like you have some really great projects in the works that I'm really excited about seeing. So yeah, no, it's, it's exciting. And I'm glad we're able to have this conversation and highlight veterans in filmmaking. Thanks so much, Eric. Yeah, awesome. Thank you, Ben. Uh, yeah, it's great to talk to another fellow vet, fellow fellow Artie, and yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the First Time Go podcast. The goal is to make life a little easier for independent creators. So if you're with me for that, please give the podcast a five-star review wherever you download your podcast. It's free and helps expand the reach for the creators on the show. Expanded membership is available through Directors Club. You get access to season one, early episodes when available, and other subscription benefits. Sign up now through Red Circle. The link is in the show notes. Check out the podcast YouTube channel if you'd like to watch a select number of episodes of the podcast and the indie film highlight posted every Sunday. Thanks again for listening and helping creators get their first time go.